we're four years in and we have consistently been acting as if we are way further ahead than we are. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been selling like this in a you know long time. We've had a big team. It's always been like very busy with recruiting or reorgs or onboarding and moving and setting up a new office. And we've just been caught up in like internal growth, which is really unhealthy when you're not seeing commercial success. And when you're when you don't even know if you have product market fit, who you're right. you know. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy today to be talking with Sarosh Tavakoli, and he is the founder of a brand called Stockheld Dreamery, which is right now a brand of non-dairy cream cheese. But I want you to talk about the vision for the brand and all the things that you hope to have happen. So welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to talk to you today. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about the brand and your background and how you wound up here doing this? Well. Yeah, so quickly on my background. So I'm born in Iran. I was raised in Sweden. And I started a company just after my studies, which was a software company. The story is that I got an idea in the shower, which I did. And well, seven years later, we were about 100 people in eight offices. And eventually we sold the company. We'd moved the commercial headquarters to London. After we sold, I moved to New York for two years and lived here, which is where I'm based now. Did that for about two years and then kind of I was done and and the handover was done. I moved back to Sweden and then started to think about what to do with my life. And I had some money. I had a lot of energy, but I needed like meaning. I needed some purpose and some drive. And I really found that in my anxiety around the climate and kind of decided that I wanted to be part of the solution, the climate solution, and essentially decided that I wanted to... start another business where the business model will be fully aligned with climate impact. So then I could just focus on building a business while achieving impact at the same time, kind of having those things be aligned. And so I looked at everything from carbon capture to growing microalgae and duckweed and eventually decided to try to help save the world with cheese. Love it. The world should be saved with cheese. That's a good plan. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so I'm a co-founder for about four years ago, and then she has a food science background. She'd been playing around a bit with trying to make uh, fermenting legumes to make cheese, and that's kind of what got us going. And yeah, we're four years in now. We designed the company really in such a way that I would not move again, because me and my family, we've moved around, you know, Stockholm to London, London, New York, New York to Stockholm, and then We kind of said never again. And uh, here we are again, back in New York, this time with three kids. And yes, but it's fun. It's fun. What um, did you come back to New York for this business or did you come back to New York before? Yeah, Yeah, for the business. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? Why To stay true to the mission, right? I think, look, the mission of the company is we want to help accelerate the transition towards sustainable foods. We know that 
unless we fix the food system, we cannot fix the climate uh, right. you know, crisis that we have. So, you know, dairy is 4% of global emissions, cheese is half of that, about 2%. It's, you know, if we can move that to be plant-based or whatever that's not coming from animals, basically, we can probably reduce that with about 70%, which is imagine all airline emissions could be wiped out by just transitioning the cheese industry. Amazing. So that's kind of what we want to help do. And obviously, you know, it's all about how fast we can do it and at what scale. So being in Sweden, which has 10 million people, I mean, we knew very early on that we needed to be in bigger markets. And we made a conscious decision to go to the US rather than expand to, you know, country by country in Europe. So that was kind of, that was it. And then knowing kind of the only way to make a U.S. expansion work is that one of the founders move, right? And you do it. So the other, your co-founder is from Sweden also? Yeah, yeah. She left the business though, operationally about a year ago. So yeah. Okay, so you were the one to move again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm also commercial. I mean, yeah. I think it's an amazing proposition that you're talking about. And when you put it in terms like you just did, like what could actually happen and what the impact could be. It's so interesting because you don't really know when you think about sustainability and climate change and all the things that affect it and how really small changes could make really big impacts. So I think when you talk about it like that, it sounds really interesting. And I will also, when we're done, tell you about two people I think might be interested in talking to who or investing in that specific space right now. So I'll let you know about that. But I think that's a very cool proposition. So talk about what it's been like to actually make it happen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The pitch is easy, right? Well, the whole hypothesis has been vegan cheese is absolutely disgusting. (laughs) You know, that's how it was like... Maybe those were very strong words, but like it's just a long way. But yes, it's not the same. It's really bad. Like most people who eat cheese just don't bother with that. It's and and actually you'd find it's very low awareness even. Like oh, there's something like oh, like most people haven't even tried. So I mean that's the core of the problem, right? The assumption is that people kind of get that cheese is a problem. People have some kind of motivation, interest, intrigue in trying to you know move away. But then the products have been, you know, so bad. The the overall proposition has been so bad that it's just not, you know, been successful at converting people. So you have products that are not living up to, and there's lots of over-promising. It melts exactly, tastes the same. You won't know the difference, but you definitely feel the difference. You know, it sticks to your teeth and it feels plasticky. It has like a dead flavor of like this starch and fat that's combined in a gel with some fake aroma added to it. So people kind of been lied to quite a bit, you know, around these amazing products. And then, you know, health claims are, you know, to be debated. No one really knows. People have their own opinion about what's what. Is it hyper-processed or is it healthy? I mean, is cheese good or bad for you? Everyone has kind of their own opinion. And then ultimately you also have the price. You know, you also pay probably about a 50% premium. Yeah. For the product. So it's like a double disappointment. Yeah. You know, you might have to yeah, throw yeah. a product, you paid a lot for it, you were kind of lied to. And so that's kind of what we're, I mean, that's been kind of at the core of, of, of our business. We, we've said we want to try to develop superior products. Like we have to make, make better products. And 
that's really, really hard, it turns out. So four years in, I mean, where we are now is we decided very early, like we don't want to be a research company that does research for five years and only then launches, right? Because there's so many other mistakes to be made. Like, let's make those mistakes. Let's do those learnings. As we go to production, as we figure out what customers actually want, right? Let's not be in our bubble. So we took whatever technology we had and we decided to make a feta cheese with it, which worked really well. Had a pretty intriguing product that we launched, had 13% protein. It had a very unique texture to it. It was a bit of an acquired taste. Like you needed to eat it like twice or three times sometimes to like, ah, now I get it. Cause it was like a very new flavor. It was also fermented. So it had like a, we had some people spit it out. The first like reaction of just like not knowing what it was. But then we had the loyal fans who just loved it. But eventually we decided to kill it actually because we just were not able to, the main reason was we were not able to produce it at scale. We just had different quality every time, food safety, food quality. Yeah. Just being able to have reproducibility (laughs) was really hard. So we decided, but then using kind of a very similar approach with fermenting legumes, we developed a very fantastic cream cheese uh, that we have gotten. We think it's definitely, if not the best, I mean, it's hard to always, yeah, it's hard to say who's the prettiest among them all, but like, it's one of the best products in the world, I would say. Awesome. And we had, it's made from cultured uh, chickpeas and lentils and yeah, it's super, super creamy and very functional. So you can cook with it and you can bake with it. Wow. And it has this kind of, there's no aroma, so it's all natural flavor and hence, in a way, it's something that you, we feel, yeah, people can eat a lot of, you know, yeah. you, I yeah. find a lot of vegan products, you kind of, you're very impressed by the first bite, but then your body's kind of like, mm, I think I'm good. I don't want, you know, I don't want to eat a lot of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it has a little tang to it as well. that comes from the fermentation. So we yeah. have people eating it with a spoon. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. that's a really good sign because mostly you don't even eat cream cheese with a spoon. Right. No. Yeah. Cool it's cool that you can bake with it too. That's a surprise to me to hear. Mm-hmm. There's so many baking uses for cream cheese, obviously being able to substitute something that's vegan is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And huge challenge in baking because you use a lot of butter as well. Yep. Butter, egg are huge problems. So sometimes you find that people are like, well, I can't get rid of the egg anyway. So, you know, right. it's right. less motivated, but in terms of frosting, at least it does an amazing frosting. So, yeah. So tell me about what it's been like and talk about the name for a second. Cause your name is not mm. something that anyone would say, Oh, I know what that means necessarily. Yeah. So you t- talk about what it means to you. Yeah. So the name we were initially called Noqua foods, which was all about like not accepting status quo, but it was a terrible name to commercialize eventually, but we spent a lot of time. So stock means campfire in old Swedish. And for us, like the campfire is the place where you have like joy of eating, right? It's like community through every civilization, through all time, there's always been like people cook and eat around the fire. And it's everything that our food system is not, you know, we have so much anxiety around what we eat, what we don't eat, the label, the calories, does it have gluten? Does it Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of get back to that where food is just, you know, taste and joy and community. So that's one part of it. The other part is the dreamery, which is 
the aspirations of the company, the dream, the everything a creamery kind of can and should be. And we think it's, you know, on purpose, it has friction, right? It's not called Oakley or it's not good. It's not like four letters that are like easy to remember and spell. It's anything but. But we think cheese deserves some friction. Like it needs some friction to be interesting and intriguing. And it's bold to have a name as well that is not just, you know, four letters. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like any name, you know, you could, there's no good or bad name, but but we really like the name and like the logo and that's the story. And obviously there's also the heritage around Stockholm, which is where we're from. Yep. 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 And so tell me about early adoption. How's it all been for you? Where are you guys at? And like, what's the dream? Is it say cream cheese? Is it to add more products? Is it? Well, yeah, to go back to where we were, like in order to make superior products, we need, we know, especially with cheese, because it's such a complex structure, you need to be quite obsessed about basically creating a new food matrix. And yeah, we've got an amazing R&D team. We have really good facilities. We've set ourselves up in a way so we can obsess around every piece of the process, right? Whether it's the fermentation and understanding what is going on there, or if it's around the molecular level, sometimes trying to just understand, like we, for example, we've been working on a melting cheese for a long time. The factory trials didn't melt. But, you know, the lab scale trials melted. And sometimes you have to go very deep on molecular level to really yeah. understand, like, why is this not melting? We've got a great team that are obsessing about all these things. And every time I talk to them, I learn like 20 new things. And it's just such a comforting feeling to have that backbone and knowing we can get to the bottom of a lot of these different challenges and problems because we're bouncing on to so many challenges all the time. Everything from, you know, inventing something at lab scale, but then as soon as we try to scale it, it's just, uh, you know, it's as hard doing that. And having this kind of team that is quite relentless and fearless and committed is what please gave me the confidence to move to another continent. Yeah. So that's kind of at the core of it. And so we have, I mean, we have the cream cheese, which is the fermented legumes and, and kind of getting this creaminess. And there's multiple ways we can evolve that further, but we want to make it successful before we start launching a bunch of other SKUs. We do have a number of flavors. We just launched two flavors in Sweden, which are smoked paprika and chili and a garlic and herbs. And then for the US market, we now have a plane and we're launching a chive and then a third flavor that is not yet decided. And then in our pipeline, we, yeah, as I mentioned, we've had a melting cheese we worked on for a long, long time. We've killed it once, we've reset it once. And we recently also made some adjustments on the plan. It's just bloody hard. We've been able to get products that have been better than let's say the mainstream competition, but we feel it's not been better enough, if that makes sense. But right now there's a few use cases. The main use case we're going for is the burger application and the hot, hot kind of melted sandwich, like a grilled yep. cheese sandwich, yep. where we've gotten some spectacular feedback that we're, yeah, we're, we're now looking at. Well, we set a really high bar for our products and we'll see there's no immediate launch plan for that. We're also, you know, evaluating how to scale it up and where to produce it, et cetera. But the vision is mainly around cheese. I mean, we want to build and become an authority around cheese. And I think that is the product line that we have in mind while not wanting to launch products for the sake of it, right? 
we need this cheese because it needs to be part of the portfolio is at least it's not where I come from. It's not, I know a lot of food companies just have like 20 products in, you know, some like portfolio. I come more from the philosophy of like do something more, you know, narrow, but go way deeper and just yeah, yeah, be yeah, the best yeah. at it. Yeah. It does, it's not without implications, right? That strategy definitely has its implications as well. So for us, one is, yeah, we've expanded internationally very early, right? Before things kind of really work. So that's been one implication of doing that, for example, being very narrow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of commercial momentum, we are now with the largest retailer in Sweden. We launched a new flavors just recently. We're seeing pretty good success in food service, also in Sweden, both with the travel industry, with the baking industry. Yep. So we're excited about that. We, in the U.S., we are having a, we're obviously earlier in our process. We are doing a very, very focused strategy here. We are fully focused on New York City and on bagels as the use case. So I have not had this much fun as I've had in the last weeks because I am basically doing sales and I'm going to places. I've not been able to get warm introductions almost anywhere. So I go and knock on the door. And I just, for example, Zucker's here in New York are, you know, they have seven locations and we first went to the Tribeca locations. They said, we'll go to the Grand Central. That's where the managers are. We went there. The managers were not there. Come back Monday, come back Monday. And, you know, and she just gave me this looks like, who's this guy with this cap in the backpack saying he's got cheese and want to meet the boss? Like, should I really call down the boss? And then she's like, let me. Give me a moment. And then eventually she's like, yeah, this guy's coming down. Wow. And so he comes down, obviously. And then, you know, that's your shot. You just, you got to do it very quickly. And yeah, I had in my backpack, I pulled out like the big tub, the 4.4 pound tub and the flavored packs from Sweden and just started to have a conversation, you know, and did a quick tasting. And yeah, and just, they called the next day. They're like, really like the product and would love to move forward and like what and then we had a meeting with them this week and they're like look out of 10 people who meet rich none nobody gets through him it's like you get through rich you're good like you're (laughs) awesome so it's really that's awesome that you're saying that you like that because you know that's a nightmare for many many people the idea of doing that makes so many people just want to crawl in a hole and cover themselves up. And so I think the fact that you love that is awesome. 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 And the reason I love it, I mean, there's, I think it's very natural for me to do that, but it's also the amount of learnings you do in every meeting. Yep. I mean, every customer has been different. You know, you learn about what they are selling today, who they sell it to, what they charge, what they pay in a recent meeting this week, which where I, again, cold emailing the owner, you know, and them getting back, got a meeting. And the guy's like, he hates soy. He thinks it's unhealthy and he doesn't want even his children to eat soy. He stopped eating the tofu cream cheese and he's just looking for an alternative. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I heard that, right? From an owner, from a customer perspective. So that was, you know, just listening, asking questions, like what are their real pain points? And yeah. they all kind of, and yeah, another place, another interesting learning is, we said, oh, it's plant-based. He said, plant-based? And he was like, we got to get it. Like, I'll try it now. And, you know, he was already serving four flavors of tofu cream cheese. But for him, that was not plant-based. That was like 
legacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was so interesting. And obviously we have a very different approach. You know, we have a brand, we have bold colors and name, and and it's clear we want to do things. So it was just very interesting. Just learning every meeting, you learn so many new things. And only then can you actually go and hire a salesperson, right? There's a clear way of selling. There's a clear objection handling. You know, our price is sometimes three times higher than competition or two times. How do you tackle that? Can you tackle that? Having some reference customers saying, well, we work with them and them. And, you know, that obviously helps the next person coming in. And so kind of not cheating. And I think, frankly, this it sounds like we're doing things perfectly. We're four years in and we have consistently been acting as if we are way further ahead than we are. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been selling like this in a you know, long time. We've had a big team. It's always been like very busy with recruiting or reorgs or onboarding and moving and setting up a new office. And we've just been caught up in like internal growth, which is really unhealthy when you're not seeing commercial success. And when you're, when you don't even know if you have product market fit, who you're, you know, so that's one of those things that I kind of beat myself up for. And, And frankly, it is the consequence of being, of raising too much capital too soon. So Yep. Yep. So talk about that a little bit, because I think that's an interesting thing for people to hear about. Well, we're not going to have that problem for a few years <laughs> in any industry, I think. But well, as a second time entrepreneur who has an exit behind, you know, behind me and being in a hot market, in a hot space, we were able to raise capital pretty easily. We uh, raised three and a half million very early on. And then we raised another 20 million on the back of that very quickly. Like we hadn't even touched half of the initial capital before we did that, which we're very grateful now when there's not much capital left in the market. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously it was just like, you know, everyone was just like, go, go, go. It was all like, there's a race. There will be a few winners, you know, everybody were like running so fast and that led you know too fast growth leads to a sequence of like when you essentially end up optimizing for speed and when you optimize for speed you become sloppy in decision making because you have to right when you're deciding on geo expansion before you're selling yeah. you're not able to make as good of a decision than you would otherwise right deciding product 2 and 3 before you know product 1 yeah. you know all of that stuff. So the sequence of poor decision-making and actually not being set up to make good decisions eventually creates a pretty big backlog of like debt (laughs) or things you got to go fix. So we've been through a few of those, which have been very painful. One was like our marketing team that we were about to build an in-house marketing team. We even hired a few people and before they joined, we had to let them go because we decided to move our marketing team to the U.S. Yeah. Painful for us, for the people involved, you know, for the company. So there's been a few of those for just as an example. Yeah. I mean, you. it's so interesting because probably now, I mean, you're right. It would be harder to raise capital now. It's harder to raise capital now in general. And so what does it look like for you? What do the next couple of years look like? Like how fast do you need to move? How fast do you need to scale? Yeah. It's funny in that question, how fast do you need to? And that, you know, I think that's another 
question that needs to be balanced with how fast should you grow? How fast can you grow? Mm-hmm. And it's a constant battle. I think any entrepreneur finds when you're doing your financial planning and you're doing your three-year plan, you're like, well, we have to do X million, but then you're like, but we won't, <laughs> but yeah. you still plan for it. And then you kind of raise money on it. And then eventually you end up almost like building, let's say you build a commercial team to make that kind of revenue, but you haven't figured out your product yet or your actual, you know, are we going to sell food service or retail or what's the actual pitch? You don't even know what does the customer actually want? And so how are we going to stand out? You know, so you end up prematurely scaling, right? So for us, I mean, I try to, it's a time and it's funny when I meet entrepreneurs now as well, fellow entrepreneurs, we're all like, fuck it. You like, you can't, these are not times to mess around with perception. Oh, it's going to look bad if we, it's like, you know, all bets are off. It's all about getting back to the basics of building a business in a solid, sustainable way. Yeah. yeah. And get out of your head that you have to do some things because if those things are not doable, you're only going to disappoint yourself. You're going to disappoint your team, your shareholders. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create, instead of going out and trying to now do national deals and roll out in Walmart and Target, and, you know, we're trying to be very, very local and we're trying to see, can we make New York City work? Mm -hmm. Can we focus here? Yeah. It's a super noisy market. It's a tough market, but it's a lot easier to make it locally than make it in, in some random suburb. Virginia right like really nobody would know about us yeah and that's what happens sometimes when you get these broader distribution deals is that no one knows who you are and you yeah you can't move yeah yep but you shouldn't be right you've just screwed yourself (laughs) it's it's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen founders make so it's interesting but do you have pressure do you not have pressure from the people who've already invested or not really I think most of the pressure is self-inflicted Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can always go back and say, so what do you think we should do? I mean, do you have a better plan? This is the best plan we have, right? Like you have a better plan. Like if anyone, like I would love to hear, (laughs) you know, that plan, but of course there's pressure. I mean, there's pressure. The real pressure is reality. Mm -hmm. And when you look at your numbers and you're, you know, you get shit scared that the numbers don't add up. That's scary. I think what's sad is very often you end up with like feeling the pressures from the investors. Yeah. Well, in reality, it's just a reflection of the, you know, either you have, I mean, you also have that quite often where people put negative pressure with that just destroys value, right? That's not constructive. Definitely experience that. And that ends up, I think, as an entrepreneur, you can feel more threatened by your investor. And that becomes like your, occupies your brain rather than what can we do? Because that matters at the end of the day. You know, and I guess that can happen that someone says you should do this and the other, you know, and then you just have to align on a framework of deciding and then committing to that. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. You're very early on in very early days in a lot of ways, just from a development perspective of the brand, but you've done so much great work on your brand, which I think is unusual. I think a lot of times when people start, they're kind of all over the place and then they evolve the brand over time. And I don't, think that's a particularly great way to go either because then you're confusing your consumer 
right? By switching things up. So you've already figured out a lot of really important stuff. And if you look at your website and you look at your social, it's so obvious that you know what the brand is and who you are. And I think that's really great and awesome stuff because most people don't get to do that so early on. And did you feel like that was necessary because of your past experience or like what led you there first? Well, you know, it's a classic from the outside. You think we have it all figured out from the inside. We're like, oh, we have so much work to do. I do feel the general energy of the company is well kind of displayed and communicated. I think we still have a lot of question marks around how to actually engage with people because yeah. we, we it's like a cute shopping window. Like if you look us up or like we're proud of the stuff that's there, but it's so far not been, we've not had content that people are engaging with in such a way that I've got to send this to my friend, right? right you know, right, right. how to do this. We got to send this. And yeah. so that was one of the ideas I was, I just had before this meeting that we had an idea about. So we're just debating like, okay, so what, you know, at the end of the day, it's a bloody cream cheese, right? And you're in the bagel shop, you're probably a bit grumpy, tired, you're waiting for your coffee, your bagel. And well, there's cream cheese, there's the vegan option or one or two options, right? And eventually, let's say you get ours, like, so what? What can we do? How can that? Well, yeah, all right, someone might not like soy, someone, you know, might like it fermented. Yes, we have more protein. Yes, fine, right? But like, how can we get people to give a shit? And yeah, we had a great idea. Yeah, we haven't slept on it yet. But of something we can do to that experience that will make you smile and might make you want to kind of share it with, you know, people. So I think there's a lot of work there to be done, but we're also at a place where we don't, you know, we're working on getting the distribution and all those initial things so that these stunts over time will become relevant, more relevant to do and invest in. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your time horizon for really wanting to be, and like your distribution in the stores that you're in now in New York, is that like I go up and I order a bagel and I ask for your specific cream cheese or can I buy a container of it or both? Well, we're only in two places currently. We're on okay. support in Soho and we're in Cozars and we're launching with Zuckers across their seven locations in a, okay. in a like probably two months or so. And then, I mean, we'll graduate. We have a tons of conversations now. But yes, you'll say it will probably be written out on the menu. It is today in both of these locations. Mm -hmm. Can I get it with a stock health cream cheese? Or you'd say, I, I want the plant-based cream cheese. Yep. Yeah. And then there's in-store, you know, the point of sales is very critical. How to inform people. It doesn't matter how good the product is. It has to be advertised, right? Yeah, you have to. Well, they have to know where, what to buy when they want to buy it on their own, right? I mean, unless, I don't know what your answer to this is going to be, but I could guess. I would imagine that just having distribution in stores like that, where people are getting it on their bagels and it's not branded. And I would imagine that's not the business that you want to be in no. long term. No, 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 no. So it's all about, yeah. I mean, I probably miss saying this, but the bagel stores are all about creating awareness, engagement, so that we can then also have, you know, sales in retail, right? Yeah. Yeah. So retail, we are currently, a product is currently imported from Europe. so. We're setting up the local production before we can roll out in retail here, which will be during the fall. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we're going to probably be in a very few select stores with an imported product as well, which will be a bit cool because it will be like the Swedish packaging with like a sticker on, which will make it a bit exotic. Yeah. Wow. So, so much to do. How do you get it all done? How do you stay positive? I mean, you've sound like you've had a lot of ups and downs, but 
a lot of ups. And you've done this before, not in this industry. So that must be really different. How are you finding like the CPG industry in general? It's like any other industry. The people who've been in it are somehow, you know, just there's a certain level of bitterness of like how hard it is and how it's like impossible. And uh, so I, I definitely get that with, you know, just how to reach profitability, all these people eating your margins, right? And all the challenges just around, you know, getting up on your feet and there's shelf life, there's distribution, logistics, warehousing, you know, the retailers have their way of doing things and all, all that stuff. To me, it's all fun. I mean, I want to do something new. I was so tired of software and advertising and all that stuff that I was working with before. So I'm learning. I think I never thought it would be easy. I mean, I think I was expecting pain and yeah, it's very painful, but you know, that is, yeah. Anyone who starts a company and thinks it's easy is will very quickly, you know, leave and, and quit. Right. So I don't know. I have a deep, there's some like deep passion and purpose. I think in it actually matters. I think if it was something else that I didn't care about, yeah, or, yeah. I think it would be much easier to give up and just be like, okay, actually, so what, let's just shut this thing down and who cares? But I feel this is definitely worth fighting for, worth working for. But yeah, it's definitely a lot of ups ups and downs. It's hard to be CEO. It's a lot of hard decisions to be taken. But yeah, I've got my kids, smile and play with them, you know. I want to touch on one more thing that you mentioned to me that I think is interesting also, because there are companies that are like you that are really early stage and don't have a lot of distribution and run on with two people, like two founders and a... Some, some people that they bring in to help out when they need specific things done, but that's not the approach you guys have taken, right? You have a relatively, for the size company, you are a pretty big group working with you. So can you talk about that a little bit and that kind of decision process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is part of what I said before that we have been growing, call it prematurely, right? We've grown too big too soon, which is good. If things take off, we have the best structure for Yes. So not screwing it up, right? And actually feeding that growth and yep. continue to grow exponentially. It's when things have taken longer that it's been very frustrating. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely something we've right-sized to some degree. We're about 30 people now. We were 40. So there's been some kind of natural. And, and we've also unfortunately had to let go of some people yeah. as well as a natural step in, in any evolution. But I think, yeah, we're doing it differently, right? In the US. I mean, in our old plan, we would have been like 10 people now in the US, but now we're still three. And that is what allows me, if I would have had to hire another seven people, I wouldn't have been out, you know, knocking on doors about the product. So I feel it's very healthy to have this different approach of, okay, step by step, you know, getting the proof points. Now, on the other side, we do have a big team and it's a big R&D team. Yeah, that is at the core foundation of the company is to develop superior products, which we continue to get proof points that it, it no one's cracked anything almost right. There's a lot of companies in this space, and we haven't seen any groundbreaking products really come out. So we continue to invest, and we have that confidence in some of the things we're working on, and we also know that those have to be then industrialized, taken out. We know there's always lots of you know initial friction to get the consistent quality, repeatability, et cetera. So the question then comes back to being such a big team will then require 
superior and differentiated products that you can actually then reap the rewards of. Because if the consumer doesn't care at the end of the day, well, you could have just been two people and you could have just, you know, not done fermentation and you could have just not done all those things that makes it hard. So let's say the jury's out on that one, right? Can we, I think we can, but yeah, can we get enough benefit out of the investments that have been put in? And I think that's part of the brutal CPG market where people might say they want quality, but they might not actually be able to pay for it, right? Or they just like the taste of unhealthy stuff, right? Like I like a salad, but I eat junk food all the time anyway. (laughs) I mean- you got to be humble around those things. So it's all about, I mean, we're trying to be very ambitious. I think we're currently at a size that I feel very good about. And given the product we have in the market now and the way the traction we're getting, I feel good about that. Plus the future product as well, which has a much bigger market. The burger cheese is, or, you know, a grilled cheese yeah. Yeah. is significantly larger. And by then we'll have developed more of the awareness, the brand, you know, the relationships with distributors, all those things that need to be in place so that that can kind of jump on a different growth trajectory. Yep. It's so interesting because you have so many challenges, obviously, as everyone does when they start in this business. And, you know, there's the whole backlash against all of the beyond meats and things like that, that seemed like they were going to explode. And then the stocks tanked and, you know, the amount of people that were willing. And I think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about, costs, right? I want to do the right thing and I want to support climate change and I want to do all those things. But if I can't afford it, I can't afford it. And so it doesn't matter what I want or what I believe in. It's I'm going to make decisions based on my realities as a consumer. And so I think until that all gets reconciled, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle, but we know it's going to come, right? It's got to come. So And I think it's so interesting because you've got challenges and challenges and you're smiling the whole time you're talking about it. And it's amazing. And that's what you have to do, right? Because the high and the lows are brutal. And if you can't smile through both of them, there's probably another job that's better. Totally. Totally. I think, you know, I think the industry, I think there's also, we have to find the unique benefits that we can have in the plant-based industry. It's not just enough to say, well, there's no animal in it, you know? Right, right. I think that is, if you look at the milk, you know, they have the shelf life. It's a shelf-stable product, which is, you know, the milk doesn't, can't do, right? So you can buy a box and put in your basement of oat milk, right? Which you can't do with your cow's milk. And so I think that's interesting. Like our cream cheese is much more fresh and light, dairy fat kind of coats your mouth in a different way. It's pretty heavy on you. So you have to also lean into some of the unfair advantages or, you know, intrinsic kind of differences and not just trying to bloody copy the thing one-to-one and like pretend it's the same thing. I I think that's a huge mistake in order to really see the growth because at the end of the day, people are just not that keen to change their behaviors, right? They're not. They're just not. No. They just like to be. I know we think we are, but and then when it comes time to do it, a lot of people are like, "Ah, I already know what that's going to be like. I'm going to stay there. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. So can we do things that are different? And I think, so one thing we can do, I think in terms of plant-based products is at least in dairy and meat, it's 
the, from a brand perspective, it's been all about terroir and heritage and the farm and the natural. And, you know, and then comes like an Oatly and does something that, like no dairy farm milk could do that. Right. Like that's just not like you could never sell Swedish milk at Starbucks in the U.S., but now you could, right? So I think that's part of also our the energy in our brand, which is not about culture and heritage and craft. And you know, there can be a different boldness and different attitude going into a. a it could be the first cool cheese brand in the world because yeah. there's not a single cool cheese brand. <laughs> no, it's not. They're right. You're right. There isn't. There's nothing that's really branded and that people really recognize, except for the one we won't talk about. It's not really cheese cheese. <laughs> <laughs> the real melty cheese craft. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but beyond craft, I don't think I could pull up. I mean, there are a couple of little stragglers that are local, right? Or regional, but craft mm. is the cheese brand. And then everything else is sort of unbranded. And then obviously there's cream cheese brands, but there's Philadelphia and whatever. Yeah. But they just don't stand for anything, right? They're big corporates. They're just very vanilla. They're just stay within their lane. And I think that's where obviously as any startup, like that's the up opportunity we have to be a bit cowboys and say yeah. things, do things that we don't need to ask permission for and hence right. uh, right. be able to stand out and create different experiences. Yeah, cool. I want to ask, I know we're getting close to running out of time, but I want to ask you, I always ask this at the end, is there any advice you would share with people who are, who are thinking about doing a CPG startup or a, a plant-based anything or just in general, things that you've seen happen that you wish you'd known about or? I guess the biggest thing on my radar is to try to think a few steps ahead in terms of the value proposition with plant-based. I think plant-based is really interesting, but it's like your main feature can't be plant-based. You know, it's just something like, don't be so freaking vegan, you know, like you might be vegan, but it's like, I'm Persian, but that's not every meeting I go to. It's like, hi, I'm Persian, you know, exactly. like, I just, exactly. but, but I, I, I'm also other things. And I think vegan plant-based has to be that as well. It just happens to be vegan, but it can also be fun or bold or. And delicious. You know, and, and, delicious yes. and yes. you know, so I think there's some kind of white space maybe as to being more creative there. God, there's probably a, a gazillion advice to be given. But it, I mean, it's probably a good time to start new companies, I would think. Like the coming 24 months where there's very little capital, but you don't need a lot of capital. That's a good thing in the beginning. Right? Yeah. So things start to get cheap, office space, labor, you know, like a lot of things. There's just, I think with the economic situation, there's just plays in your favor when you're really small. And there's a lot of seed capital actually available, but then hopefully markets can turn by the time you need more capital. And hey, who knows? Maybe you don't need more capital. That is the best advice if you can build a company, but then you need to not try to do something that's very technically diff difficult because that you can pull off, right? Without capital and patience and- uh, yeah. Interesting. Is there anything you wish you knew before you started this? Is there anything that you wish someone had told you or that you, that could have saved you some level of struggle or challenge? I mean, this has been the theme of this conversation, right? Like, and what's been very top of mind is like, I wish we would have gone slower. Yeah. You know, and I think, again, I don't think that problem will exist because I don't think people will get that amount of funding will not be happening prematurely, right? It will probably be the opposite. And as 
for a little while. Yeah. People will complain there's not enough money and, and you'll always have not enough. You're always fundraising. And that's also very painful. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's a classic second time entrepreneur thing where you just get ahead of yourself and you, you scale too fast and think. So just trying to get down to business fundamentals, understanding your customer, being at the front line, you know, focus on product and sales. And then as things work, then only yeah. then elevate to the next. I like the being on the front line part because I think that sometimes people forget that that's where you do all the good learning in a really short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. You get all the doors shut or opened or you get feedback that you might not get otherwise if you have someone else doing it. So I think that's really interesting. And a lot of people probably are uncomfortable with those things, but they're probably still really important. The rubber hits the road, like all of the assumptions you had you know, suddenly they're going to be tested. Yeah. Is the product better? You know, do they think it's better? Because you might think it's better. Your blind yeah. may be told you it's better, but if the customer doesn't get it, yep. you know, what are they willing to pay and all that stuff. And it's also not, those things are all dynamic, right? Yes. Like in this customer meeting where recently, you know, they buy it for two, they currently buy it for like 250 a pound. We sell it for six. Yeah. And I was kind of panicking. I was like, there's no way. But then we sat down, we did some breathing, we took out a spreadsheet and we did a lot of calculations. And we're like, oh, you know, they could just increase their price with 50 cents per bagel. And actually that would cover the increase of cost. Like, so you also have to allow that creativity to happen. Cause if you just have a salesperson, they'll probably just say, oh, they said it's too expensive. You know, dot, <laughs> that's the end of it. So there's the creativity needed as well. Yep. So many things. You have so many jobs as a CEO of a startup, right? All the jobs are yours. <laughs> I still feel that way. I still feel that way. So I've been doing this for a while too. I think it's just always the challenge. Not beating yourself up, right? Because you're always feeling you're failing in a number of areas that are not getting as much love as they probably. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's true. Well, I really think this is awesome. And there's so many good things for people to hear because it's not that easy. It's a very hard job. And you have to consider all the factors and you have to think about how you're going to handle the hard ones. There are a lot of them. Yeah. And I think with a smile on your face is a great way to do it. And don't believe everyone who's killing it, right? Like, I mean, I think that's yes. You can always turn that mode on. And I could sit here and go like, we're killing it and pull out some brag numbers and metrics and be like, we're growing X percent every month or, you know, I don't think necessarily that adds value. And you're always like, hmm. So I think that's one thing maybe that, I don't know, I, I wish we could do more as a community to talk about, you know, talk about things as they are. It will help. That's what's great about meeting entrepreneurs. I think it's always like, oh, how are you? Like, oh yeah, it's crazy out there, right? And then you just straight away, like you can find kind of peace exactly. together. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's why I started this podcast in the first place because during COVID, everyone was so tense and everyone yeah. so alone. And I was like, wait, you're all saying the same things. You need to tell them to each other because you need to know that you're not alone and that people have gone through it. And not only have they gone through it, they found their way to the other side. They were wildly successful at it or they moved on to something even better. So I think those things are really important and those connections matter a lot, a lot. Awesome. Totally. Totally. Good advice. Well, I really appreciate all of your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.